G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. 14 years ago, a lot of heroin on the streets, a lot of overdoses, a lot of bag snatchers, a lot of bergs. And so he's got all of the ingredients to attract broken people to it. And so the vision, I guess, was can we plonk ourselves right in the middle of that, sat at a cafe and said, God, lead us to the one person that God was already working in. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part four of our special six-part series focusing on how God chooses some of the most unlikely people to do some of the most remarkable things in His kingdom. And we are certainly going to hear that today. Last time we heard Jeff Marr share how his life had spiralled down so low through drinking to excess that he thought of himself as a bit of a nothing. And he thought there was no way that a most high God would have anything to do with him. But when God told him, Jeff, you're not a nothing, that's when the light turned on and his life turned around. So here's more of Jeff having a chat and sharing his story with Eric Scatterbo in part four of our six-part series. Not only do you get you know this term born again, but but so something happens on the inside where where you start feeling life and you feel like oh my goodness, there's a way forward, there is hope, and um, and I'll tell you there's something that I remember clearly is that when I did th- when I did that and and over the next months and months and months I, I'd come to church and I signed up for this thing, I signed up for church. I would regularly come to this church and um and I'd every I think I started to get access with Daniel every fortnight, mm-hmm. and so I'd bring him along. And I, this is this is really important for me. I said to Mum, "Oh my goodness, I feel like Mum, I'm in a bubble, and it's a good bubble. It's a, it's an amazing bubble. Does it ever burst?" Mm-hmm. And and Mum said, uh, "It doesn't burst. It doesn't have to burst. Um, some people's will burst because of their lifestyle, and if they step out of this place of being with Jesus, but." Um, my bubble has never burst um, 30 years down the track and it's never burst and that's this love bubble that's this thing between me and Jesus and obviously Daniel was a massive part of that mm. What happened from the point of you becoming a Christian? Um, so I spent the next um, number of years at that church and loved it and thrived there just got involved got, um, mm. got involved in different parts of the church and ultimately met my wife there Mm-hmm. Which is a massive story. I won't go into that all that detail, but I went looking for a beautiful Christian woman to, to marry. Went everywhere else, but here she was in this same church, and she's a fair bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. And so it was miraculous that God put us together, and we fell in love, married, and um, you know what? And I need to tell you this. You know what? I knew I I knew she was the one because I dated a couple of girls and. I'm spending every second weekend with Daniel, my boy, who was my world, mm-hmm. and they couldn't quite connect with him as much as I guess I was hoping. Mm-hmm. And when when my wife, Linda, came along, wife-to-be Linda, mm-hmm. she loved my boy to bits. She loved him as much as I did. And so 
I just knew she was the one mm -hmm. to spend the rest of my life with, and she's still like that absolutely every day with Daniel now. She's yeah. There's no step mum or step child stuff. It's he's my boy. He's my mm -hmm. he's my family, and so. And that's what I mean. The bubble actually got better and better. It just—I <laughs> thought it was—I thought it was—I was in this love thing that was amazing, kind of like a honeymoon that it'll, it'll wear off after yeah, a while. Yeah, it hasn't worn off. It actually just got better and better and better. And um, I pinch myself every single day. Well, let's find out how it's gotten better. From that point, what happened next? Um, got an invitation to go and join a church, which is pretty weird. I'm a carpenter by trade. No training in ministry stuff or theological stuff. So this church invites me and my wife to come and join them. What do you mean join them? Uh, as join them as pastors. So they we, wanted you to be a pastor. Yeah, pretty weird, hey. Now I had <laughs> well, well, hold on a second. Here. So, <laughs> this is happening pretty fast. How long after you had become a Christian did this happen? Um, oh my goodness, maybe, maybe. Why you? Five, six, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you or exactly. Anything, but how, how did this happen? Oh, uh, look, my wife and I. So we're we're married. Uh, we're involved together in ministry at church we so you're running. now a mature christian i uh, still still kind of younger, mature <laughs> younger in maturity but but i'd found a way the grog had gone yeah so i was sober loved jesus involved in some ministry stuff mm -hmm. at church met my wife they must have seen something yeah so that what i guess what he says is that we watch the way you love people mm. and we need someone like that in our oh, church that's beautiful. to get alongside it's not a preaching role. It's not, you know, it's uh, it's come alongside and actually get involved in loving the body. And I thought, oh, man, this sounds good. So Love you weren't it. the lead pastor. No, no not But lead. a pastor. A pastor. Of, okay. Uh, yep. A um, helper. So I gave up my job as a carpenter mm -hmm. or went part-time, which mm -hmm. was pretty weird because I was a supervisor of a lot of men making really good money. Mm -hmm. And the invitation was, come and join us on staff. Can't pay you much. Go part-time, but we'll have a an awesome ride. And I said, sounds good to me. And my wife really? said, sounds good to her too. So financially, you're agreeing to take a big hit. Yeah. Oh, it was halving to pay for sure. Yep. And uh, so you we did it. Yeah. We sold up our house in um, Endeavor Hills, moved mm -hmm. over to Lilydale and got involved with the church. Spent the next nine years there mm -hmm. and loved it and absolutely just loved. Uh, got thrown into the deep end. And one one little story I'll tell you really quickly is that our role was to love the church, and so jump in there. Official job title. Yeah, love the church. Yeah, so it was. <laughs> it was. It was just that. And the senior pastor found that I was always outside, down the train station, or somewhere reaching out to those lost. And I so said, that just came natural to you. Yeah, my passion was still the one, the one that's broken like I was, the mm -hmm. one that yeah. doesn't fit in society, the one that thinks he's a nobody. And so I was at the train station or hanging out wherever they would be. And so he recognized it, and I sort of felt like I was really drawn to that. And so he changed my role and gave me this, I guess, the title of compassion pastor. So it was all about that uh, is taking, cool. taking mercy out to people. Compassion pastor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like it. So I spent the next handful of years uh, setting up homes, um, running a meal midweek for people that were um, hungry, working with addicts, uh, guys coming out of prison. Mm -hmm. um, so I got just entrenched in loving those that, are, I guess, had been similar to me, the outcast. Okay. And so that was a really good time for us. It came to an end mm -hmm. um, after nine years, like I said, 
And then it was, what do I do now? Do I put the nail bag back on and join the carpentry gang again? Mm-hmm. Um, although I could have. that my, my passion, my drawing was to just keep doing work on the streets. So that's where I guess the Elijah Care thing kicked off. Yes. So you are the founder of the ministry, yep. Elijah Care. Yep. What is that and how did it come about? Yeah, it's... Um, I guess it was it almost become an extension of what we were doing with this church. We were working in Lilydale mm-hmm. with addicts, homeless, hungry, broken people. Well, when, you, what, when you say you're working with them, I mean, how do you find them and what are you doing? Um, we had a pretty unique church where they would we'd go out, we'd find them on the streets. We were able to invite them back because this midweek thing mm-hmm. called Terry's Tucker just fed them, and oh, okay. and so that so it wasn't too. Um, scary for them to come and have a feed mm-hmm. with us, but it was all about helping them connect with a new lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so I headed that up. And from there, they would want to know what we did on a Sunday or what else was going on or how would I get into one of your houses. So we got a chance to spend a lot of time with these guys. And so my role was then just to, I guess, oversee that. So I met a lot of people and nurtured a lot of people and some of them. And you're just s- loving this. Oh, yeah. I and found, this is your passion. Yeah, I'd, I'd found my, I guess I'd found my call in life and um, was doing it with the you church. You weren't uh, the, the grot anymore. I wasn't the grot, no. <laughs> Although I tell you, I tell you, it took years to overcome. Like my my pastor would ask me to preach and I'd say, oh, man, I, I don't know how to do that. I struggle through pulling a sentence together. How am I going to get up there? So I still had these insecurities that, yeah. that God had to work through and shape me through. But um, but helping broken people on the yeah, street, yeah, that wasn't a problem. Oh, I felt, I felt right so incredibly comfortable, yeah. bringing Jesus to those that because um, there's a lot of people who'd rather preach than do that. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, yeah. So what happened? Um, so how did Elisha care birth? There was only a few of us said that the, the hot spot was Croydon at that time. We felt like we needed to move on from Lilydale and head down to Croydon. Heroin was on the streets everywhere. Um, what are we, 13? I go there every Saturday morning. I'm completely oblivious to yeah. this. Yeah, <laughs> say 14 years ago, a mm, okay. um, lot of heroin on the streets, a lot of overdoses, mm. a lot of bag snatches, a lot of burgs. Um, it has a cash converters. It has boarding houses. It has a methadone clinic. And so it's got all of the ingredients to attract broken people to mm. it. And so... The vision, I guess, was can we plonk ourselves right in the middle of that? So we went right into the main street of Croydon, sat at a cafe and said, God, lead us to the one. And so we'd have coffee with the one. And we, and we all, cause what, what been, do you mean the one? Oh, well, the one person that God was already working in. So the one, oh, that, he'd okay. be, the one that he'd be doing something in oh, okay. that was ready to find new life. So God, just lead us to the one person yeah. that you're already yeah. working in. And. Probably weren't really that interested in doing welfare, just you know, just giving food to someone that needs food. Mm-hmm. Because for for me, when the light turns on, you want to see the light turn on for someone else. You don't want to see someone hungry just fed mm-hmm. and stay broken. So it was lead us to the one that you're working in right now that we might be able to share hope with. And he did. And there'd be one there, and then there's two there, and then there's three there. And it wasn't long before there's a gathering around us. And so we we started to dream the dream of what do we do with this little gathering. So we started to run our own houses under Elisha Care. We had barbecues on the street where lots of street people could come and have a barbecue Mm -hmm. with the intention of which ones 
ready to change their life. We'd spend a lot of time in court just nurturing guys that are, that have got a whole lot of mess to work through. And so we spent the next 10 or so years just doing that. Um, sounds fantastic on a practical level. How do you support yourself doing this? Uh, it started part-time for me. And I look back and just think, my goodness, there's one guy, one couple that gave me a chance. They become a part of the board for Elisha Care. Mm-hmm. They employed me part-time while Elisha Care employed me the other part. Oh, okay. So so that was an awesome part of the, the plan. And, and, and I guess that was part of really feeling like God was involved. And then as it got busier and busier and busier, um, it went more full-time and there was a few more donations and funds around just to help support me. And I might I might tell you this bit just in case we run out of time. It was quite miraculous that we'd been doing a lot of volunteer work with a lot of people at that stage. A lot of men gathered, certainly some women too. Mm-hmm. But a guy come and saw what we were doing and said, you've got all these people gathered and many of them are unemployed and a lot of them are skilled. They've got some skills. Set up a business. Set up a business. Employ these guys. I can see this working. Mm-hmm. And it was scary. It was way too outside of my faith level. So the idea is to help these people who are trying to recover mm. have something to do, a productive skill. Yeah. Yep. Is that the, uh, the uh, Yeah, idea? absolutely. So not only spend time with them so that we could hang out lots to see how we could be involved in their life, but then um, help them because no one wants to employ an addict. It's really hard for someone mm. to find a job. And so we, we stepped into this thing of our, our first thing was gardening. Mm-hmm. And so we started up a gardening team and employed these guys, and it was only two or three. But the vision was, this guy could see, I can see teams of men going out there, and they're recovered. They're recovered addicts there. And then not only do they recover, but they become your supervisors to then take other teams out. And like I say, it was so scary to start there, but a few years down the track, we send out four teams now, all led by supervisors that are recovered, Wow. Um, Success stories. Yeah. With skilled with skilled guys, like they've been trained up, have some skills to garden, landscape, painting, fencing. Um, and, so you're just in your element uh, and it's, it's just growing. Yeah. Yeah. The bubble's gone crazy. <laughs> it's gone ridiculously crazy. You're listening to The Story. Our guest today is once again Jeff Marsh, sharing his incredible story about how he became the founder of Elisha Care, a community that focuses on restoring hope, value and purpose in broken people's lives. We'll hear more of Jeff's story and the wonderful impact he's having on people when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Jeff Marsh sharing his life journey with Eric Scadabo. Jeff is the son of Helen Marsh, who was our guest in part one and two of this six-part series. Next, Jeff will share more about the ministry he founded called Elisha Care and about some of their success stories, including Danny and Brooke, who will be our guests in part five and six of this series. I guess one of the guys right from the start, and it goes back at least 10 years, maybe a bit longer, he was one of the guys that we helped break out of alcohol 
Mm-hmm. His name's Danny. Um, Danny Sharp. Danny Sharp. Yep. I'm going to stop you there because we're going to hear their story next time. Oh, okay. So I better a, not tell you any yeah, of no, the no, story. Okay. But, but uh, just a preview for people who are listening. We'll hear Danny and his wife, Brooke's story next time. Incredible. Fantastic. Anything else you want to say about Danny about, Brooke? I could say lots of things about Danny, but I won't. No, nah, look, it, it, God was God was so incredibly gracious because for us to see for us to see their lives change, um, it was a beautiful platform just to see so much more come. So okay, Brooke and I won't, Danny, actually, sure. I'm yeah, not we'll going to give any away. Yeah, we'll stop there. You're going to hear their um, story next time. Yeah, but we've since since uh, I guess since those early days, there have been lots of amazing people come along. We've had. Lots of tragic stuff. We've had, mm. we've lost people. We've lost people. Yeah, it's not all no. fun and roses. I mean, no, there's no, heartbreak as well because not everybody makes good decisions. No, no, it's important to tell the the real story. Is that some people come, we get to know them really well. They become family to us, and then mm. they've overdosed or suicided, or uh, their bodies have given up. And we've gone to mm. way too many funerals in in a dozen years. We're pretty passionate these days. Um, some people say maybe too passionate, maybe too purpose-driven, but the more funerals you go to and the more pain you see, uh, it intensifies the urgency to take hope out to, to these guys. Just just being honest here, I mean, that's got to be incredibly disappointing. Do you ever think maybe, hey, this is just too hard? Uh, do you know, people ask me that. I that's a fairly common thing is how do you keep going when you see so many can relapse and fall back? And yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be um, frustrating. And you know what? My response is, do you know when there's one, when there's one life that turns around and when I see one person catch what I've caught or one person find the bubble that I've found or one person feel the love that I've felt, then for me, it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. And that one quite often turns into two and mm-hmm. it turns into three. And so nah. The, the amount of disappointment we have is so overridden by the incredible sense of, of awe of what God does when, when we see lives restored. Mm-hmm. There's one bit, there's one bit I just want to want to tell you is that in that whole story, only five years ago, I lost a brother to suicide. So he's a younger brother mm-hmm. that come along, I think he came along 10 years after me mm-hmm. and he got caught up in alcohol and depression and and he took his life because of, I guess, feeling so hopeless, very similar to how I felt. Mm. And when he died, a lot of people would ask, how, how are you going to cope after this? How are you, you know, how are you doing? And I said, actually, it's only made me more serious and passionate and full on about taking hope out to the one that has mental illness, the one that feels mm-hmm. depressed, the one that can't overcome alcohol. And so I think about him lots and... What was his name? His name's Brett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I guess along the way, God uses all of these painful stories and parts of our life to actually make us even stronger or mm-hmm. yeah. even more passionate. And, and so my attitude towards alcohol these days is pretty full on. Sometimes mm-hmm. people say a bit too full on, but I am so passionate that we've got to start helping people break out of the cycle that mm-hmm. alcohol is. Yep. And so we, right now, we, the last 12 months, we've been reaching Burmese guys in Croydon. Yeah, tell us about that. And um, there was five or six uh, stuck in a park, uh, s- sitting out there just So trying, they're just sleeping in yeah, the park just every sleeping night. In, in the rain, basically. And so wow. we, we as a group went out there and covered them up with a tarp, put a big tent up over them, and had no idea how to reach Burmese, could hardly speak any language. Yeah. 
And so one by one, they started coming and living with us at Elisha Care. And, um, so you have a place where people can yeah, so sleep, have, obviously. Yep, we have a few houses where they can come and live, mm-hmm. so, which is a part of the recovery. And so eventually five of these guys come in and have been living with us and have started to break the cycle of alcohol. Now, there have been some uh, relapses back to the park in mm-hmm. that last 12 months, but these guys are champions, and we can't we can't say one or two drinks is okay. These guys can't touch alcohol. Yeah. And so that's our message. That's mm-hmm. our message yep. these days is that we have to break the cycle and we have to um, show you that there is another way and his name is Jesus and mm-hmm. we no longer need our old ways to get us through life. So I love our team. Our team are awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, the last 12 months reaching deep into the Burmese community has been extraordinary. And again, just the bubble just gets that little bit better. Have any of them put their faith in Jesus? All of them, yeah. All of them. Well, the interesting thing is they already come out of the Chin state in Burma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they are Christian. They don't know their how. Their heritage anyway. Their heritage yeah. is Christian. And, and I guess. Um, but not necessarily a personal relationship. That's it. And that, good or bad, that's. So they come in, and when we start talking to them about faith in Christ, they're okay. They're absolutely on the same page. Our role is to help them find him in a personal way that mm-hmm. he becomes their power source and their everyday walk. And so. Uh, Another day, I could tell you about one of the boys who's now one of our um, supervisors in our team. Yeah. There's a chin, chin boy who's who's sober now for almost twelve months and kicking goals, and he's got incredible love for the other boys. And he's heading back to be with his family in another couple of months. He he got back sep- in Burma. No, sorry, he got separated from his family here in Australia because of the alcohol, mm-hmm. and she took an intervention order on him. And that finishes really soon, and he's rekindled his relationship with her, and is able to go back home and continue to be dad to their little boy and husband to to his wife. And so we, so we just think, oh my goodness, that's another one family that has uh, been redeemed and and found life. And he'll go and mm-hmm. share that with others. Now, speaking of families being brought back together, you shared how you were brought back together with your precious son Daniel. Yeah. And that's continued. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a story in itself. But the I guess the the amazing thing is, so we did the whole access for the first eighteen years. So I'd have fortnightly access mm-hmm. um, and see him one night during the week. Drove me crazy because it wasn't enough. But that's mm-hmm. what you do as as dads. And Daniel and I built something really special during that that eighteen years because I guess he saw my commitment to him, and I saw his love for me. And then as he grew into a young man, um, he came and spent more and more time with me. And um, Dan had a, a massive moment only a few years ago where he he came into a place of faith and then eventually said, Dad, can I come and work with you guys? And I don't know whether I should tell you all of his bit because <laughs> no, 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 he we're... might even he might even come and tell his story. Yes, but, yes, um, yes. We have an open invitation <laughs> for him. But uh, the, the gist of it is... You're working together with your son, yeah. So your Dan's, boy, your precious boy, my precious you're boy, together. who I who who was my world, yeah. Now works with Elisha Care full time. He runs our gardening Fantastic. gardening business, and he is so sold out for the guys. He just he has a heart for these guys uh, like no other, and it's precious to watch. Okay, any final words to leave our listeners with? Ah, uh, look, incredibly grateful for my mother who was mm-hmm. the one that started the ball rolling and who's a matriarch in our family. Mm-hmm. Incredibly 
grateful to a God that never gave up on me and has given me such a mm. an amazing life now. Uh, love my wife to bits, and and I wake up every day and I don't have a job. I wake up now and and say thank you, God, that I get to every single day love life and and take hope out to people. So. So living the dream in the bubble, um, pretty crazy that I'm just this simple carpenter, and um, <laughs> but I just love love what's going on. So I appreciate the, the opportunity to share my journey with you today. No worries. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Awesome. Thank you. Well, that was Jeff Marsh sharing his incredible story. And it's amazing to think how far he's actually come. Last time we heard how he thought of himself as just a bit of a nothing. But then when God told him, you're not a nothing, that's when his life turned around. I like how he referred to being in a metaphorical good bubble that his mother says doesn't have to burst if you don't step out of being with Jesus. But on the other hand, if you stay in God's will for your life, This love bubble never bursts, but just keeps getting bigger and bigger and including more and more people in it. A beautiful illustration. And speaking of including more people, earlier Jeff mentioned a couple named Danny and Brooke Sharp. Next time, we'll hear their remarkable story and how they met in a detox centre. We'll also hear the amazing way their story connects with Jeff's. Meanwhile, for more information about Elisha Care, the ministry that Jeff founded, their website is... ElishaCare.org. That's ElishaCare.org. Well, until next time, when we hear part five in our special six-part series, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. Yeah, Brooke asked me the question on my 30th, what do you see for this year and for yourself? And I said, death, that's what I see. That's what I want. Um, That's what I'm chasing. I'm not searching to get free from this stuff anymore because I just know I can't now. I've tried for eight years to get free and and I can't and it's destroyed me. So I want to die this year. I don't want to make 31. In 1998, Danny and Brooke Sharp had reached a low point in their lives and they met in a detox centre. That was the beginning of their journey together, a journey that would go through various peaks and valleys and twists and turns. We'll hear their story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.